So let's go ahead and get started. And what I'd like to do is just kind of go round robin and um, have the different um, panel members just do a quick introduction. We'll do a more deep introduction on Richard via Charles uh, shortly. But go, go ahead, Richard. Where are you located and kind of what's going on? You're on mute, by the way. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So Richard Anderson, I um, own C-Tech Systems and I'm actually in the Pacific Northwest, currently in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and it is cold and there are several feet of snow here as well. So. <laughs> well, welcome, Richard. We're super happy to have you on this uh, roundtable. You provide a lot of expertise that we'll get into uh, shortly. Mark, an update. Where are you located in quick background? Greetings. I'm joined by Catherine. We're located in um, uh, in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, and we've been uh, proud owners of Serenity since December of 2020, living full time and cruising the Pacific uh, coast waters of the U.S. and Mexico. Thanks, Mark. Hey, Mark and Catherine. <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> How's it going? And I am uh, Mark Silverstein. I'm aboard my uh, Antares field trip, and we are located in Penang, Malaysia. So it's a small island in the middle of the Malacca Strait. So that's where we're located. Uh, Doug. Hi, I'm Doug uh, Weibel. I'm on my Antares Frolic. We are in, uh, we're in uh, anchored off uh, Terre de Haute in La Saints, Guadeloupe in the Caribbean. Uh, and my wife, Marjorie, and I cruise uh, mostly the Western Atlantic, I guess, from Newfoundland down to um, Trinidad. It'll be our stop for this season. All right. Well, thank you very much, Doug, for being a panel member. We're going to move on and just go through the agenda, and then we'll hand it over to uh, Richard for just a, for uh, sorry for to Charles for a quick intro. Um, on the agenda, we're going to first go through just a general communication technology overview by Richard. Uh, then we're going to go through and jump into um, nearshore communication. And we need to have you probably mute there, Renee. I'll mute you right now, actually. There we go. Um, and then finally, we're going to jump into ditchback communication. So what do we recommend? What are people using for ditchback communications as they jump off uh, the boat? Hopefully, that doesn't happen very often, but you still need to have some method to do that communication. Charles, do you want to just jump in? I know you wanted to just introduce uh, Richard to the group. Yes. Hi, everyone. Yeah, I, I wanted to just uh, give everyone a little background on, on how Richard and I got to know each other. Uh, last summer, we, our autopilot was intermittent. Uh, our GPS kept telling us that the signal was lost. And I uh, could tell you 10 other things that were going wrong with our electrical system. So uh, besides uh, uh, Richard's knowledge on, on uh, what he's going to speak to us about today, what I want to let you guys know is that he also is a specialist in troubleshooting, uh, electronics remotely for cruisers. And as he will probably mention, uh, him and his family have cruised extensively the West Coast of, of uh, uh, North America. And um, uh, uh, he's an awesome guy. And, um, and he saved our butt. 
it was just not, I think the bottom line to it is it was just nice to figure it out instead of ha having to pay people who seem to know less than we do. Richard was the missing link for Maria and I to understand how our system worked. And, uh, and I'm thankful for that. Thanks, Charles. And here's Richard. Yeah, Richard, do you want to jump in and and uh, go through the your overview? And I can switch the slides. I'm not sure if you can on your side, but I can certainly do it for you and give us more background. Thanks. Sure. Yeah. So um, as I as uh, Charles mentioned, we sit my wife and I and took our kids out sailing as well. So we actually real quick story was we um, had corporate jobs, worked 60 hours a week. My wife and I both had kids. And in order to, um, you know, see our kids for 45 minutes for dinner every night, we were paying the equivalent of somebody's, you know, $150,000 in salaries in our house to have other people do stuff for us. And um, that just became un unattainable. We didn't like it anymore. So we quit in 2017 and uh, sailed for about 18 months from Alaska to Costa Rica with our kids on board, um, explored, you know, all that. And then um, during that time, we actually uh, started up our own businesses. We actually run three different businesses right now. My wife has two and I have SeaTech. Um, and we did that from the boat via satellite and Wi-Fi and cellular um, as we traveled. And then now we're back on land running those businesses as well. So that's sort of my quick background. I have about uh, 20 years of corporate IT uh, experience prior to quitting uh, and then sailing experience and running SeaTech now. So that's kind of where my um, background is, I guess. Um, so as far as the actual um, uh, co content goes, so this particular slide, so I've broken up a little bit of, try to talk about a little bit of history and going forward about um, communications technology. Um, many of you probably already know some of this, um, but I would say there's sort of like three communications eras uh, in the in modern history, anyway, for boaters, um, and that is sort of like the pre or the SSB era, which is before the Iridium Go. Um, um, before the Iridium Go came out, you know, most sailors would have like an SSB radio and Pactor for high seas communication. They would be able to do email, um, you know, small emails, receive some grid files decode some weather facts um, and uh, and be able to talk to other sailors on the net on nets and such like that through their HF SSBs um, and they had obviously VHF radios as well. Um, Iridium and Global Star and Inmarsat all had uh, released handheld satellite phones so many sailors had those as well either as emergency or maybe in combination with some devices like um, you know, Xgate or some software like Xgate email to send and receive small emails over satellite. Um, some people would buy cellular boosters. Typically at this point, they were like two band, you know, old school GSM or TDMA boosters uh, to amplify their cell phone signals when they could. Um, and that was sort of like the, and, you know, the communication, what you, what was available at the time. Um, you could download, you know, like to get weather faxes, get grid files, and then process all that in various grid viewers 
or whatever, like WeatherFax 2000 was was popular software as well, et cetera. So that's sort of like the the pre the SSB era. Um, and the you know the good thing about all that really was that you could get weather forecasts, you could make sat phone calls, you could send and receive email. Um, Sorry, all these things were possible. Sorry, um, <laughs> if you were that's all right. All these things were possible as long as you just had that equipment and you know paid the, the the money to either buy the equipment or pay the ongoing cost. Typically, people on satellite phones would have like prepaid vouchers, five hundred minutes for a year, that kind of stuff that they would use. Um, the this particular sort of era sort of kind of gave way to the next era in part because um, you know cellular boosters kind of got old um the iridium go was re released right around 2014 and then they came out with their quote-unquote unlimited data plan um and that sort of you know moved us into this new i call it the unlimited era it's an iridium go era it's more of a communications connection era um but at this point you know 2014 through up till about last year um we had you know ubiquitous 3g and 4g cellular data available throughout the world really as coastally anyway um the iridium go was sort of a big transition because they said oh it's unlimited now for a flat fee and then predict wind was really came out around the same time and started you know increasingly improving their software and their services and making it easier to get um reliable forecasts um and it worked well with the iridium go in that unlimited connection. Um, and then, uh, you know, Wi-Fi extenders came out, you know, by Rogue Wave or a Ubiquity or various other ones came out that let you connect to the Marina Wi-Fi. And Marina Wi-Fi was either cheap or free. Um, for people that had uh, high bandwidth requirements, you could get a KBH uh, for leisure and you could put it on your boat. It's kind of, it was quite expensive, but if you needed it and you had the budget, it would work. Um, you know, Fleet Broadband and Fleet One from Inmarsat, Meridium Pilot from Meridium provided faster connections as well. But that always sounded expensive because they were by the megabyte and they were um, not unlimited for, uh, like the Iridium Go. So uh, and then VSAT was available, but VSAT, uh, which was sort of slow and expensive, is really only for commercial ships because the antennas were very large and very high cost. So not a lot of um, you know, technically the KVH is VSAT, but it's a, it's a smaller kind of version of VSAT. Um, and, uh, but it was, you know, so the bigger VSATs was, wasn't really available. Um, you know, and then we started getting into the sort of this new safety and GMDSS and SOLAS, uh, conventions around the world where now we had sort of a, a safety, like how do we stay safe in the high seas? How do we communicate in distress? And a lot of these conventions came through for the commercial shipping, which benefited leisure. And things like the ICOM M802 SSB that had a DSC function, distress function, uh, where it became available for leisure as well. And uh, and at that point, Pactor modems were getting faster. So we had Pactor, you know, two and three. Um, we now have Pactor four, which increased the performance of um, packet radio data. In fact, Pactor four is faster than an Iridium Go as far as data transfer at this point. Um, and then, you know, users got really, you know, kind of got used to the fact they had maybe a Wi-Fi extender on their boat, and then they had a, maybe a cellular hotspot on their boat, and then they had um, an Iridium Go, uh, a couple different Wi-Fi networks to, to use. 
Um, but we learned a few things too during this time, like your weather data got really a lot easier getting accurate weather data. Um, Predictment got improved, other services became available. People who use um, Noble Tech, for example, can download weather and overlay it in Noble, Noble Tech Navigator through Iridium Go even now. Um, so a lot of this stuff just got a lot easier and better. Um, you know, with the unlimited, you could people, you know, your users believe that they can keep their costs in check because they don't have to worry about going over, and that's always scary. Um, but you know, the reality, um, just my, our experience on our side is that um, you know, ninety nine percent of users uh, on an Iridium Go actually use less than seven megabytes a month of data. Um, so if you look at data plans for Go's and Fleet Ones and things like that, where they're only 10 megs or 25 megs for 100 bucks, you know, the reality is most people would never actually use more than that if they used it like a Go. Um, but um, anyway, it's, it's always not unlimited. It's always scary. So um, yeah, so there's that. And then 4G became fast enough to, for us to really start doing anything we wanted for business as long as we had 4G connectivity, we could do video calls, we could do email, we could do Netflix. Um, and so that became really powerful. And Wi-Fi extenders started getting a little less uh, important, uh, especially as Marina Wi-Fi got horrible. Um, the cellular was always you know, generally better. Um, and costs were coming down and you could get SIM cards, different countries and different things. So, um, you know, that was sort of like the, the big good thing of that sort of era of time. And then now we're seeing um, this changing again, you know, with smart devices on board, people have multi, multi you know, chart plotters, uh, DC converters, solar chargers, uh, other things that all of those create Wi-Fi networks of their own now. And then you still have this, have the other connections like Iridium Go and Starlink mm -hmm. and whatever that all create Wi-Fi networks as well. And we are getting to a situation where on boats, we have this kind of Wi-Fi sprawl which is we got to start thinking about how we're going to get that into check. Um, too many Wi-Fi networks. Um, the other thing that's changed recently is for those of you that have, or people that have older SSB radios that don't have DSC functionality, um, if they're like a you know, pre-802, pre um, the, the safety factor of that SSB is actually um, compromised because of the latest SOLAS and GMDSS uh, uh, agreements. And the reason is because basically uh, all the commercial ships on the high seas have to have a watch that listens for distress on uh, VHF and HF. However, um, they don't have to have the volume turned up. The only way they'll actually hear the distress call is if it comes through a DSC call. So if your radio is not capable of DSC, you're actually less likely for anyone to hear a distress call if you just do a pom-pom or a mayday mayday over the microphone. So um, anyone who's looking at using an SSB for safety, which is still totally viable, um, should really think about having an 802 or 803 that supports DSC function. Otherwise that uh, safety function is somewhat limited. Um, Pactor is still viable, Pactor 4 is still working, sale mail is still out there. Um, all those things were good. Um, as far as uh, moving forward, you know, Starlink has really, the launch of Starlink has, and 5G both have really changed the game when it comes to um, onboard connectivity. 
Um, and it'll be interesting to see sort of how that goes um, long term. But so, so starting kind of this year now, we're into this new era of broadband. Uh, we have 5G cellular now, which is much faster. Um, it's getting more ubiquitous. Um, the Go Exec, Iridium Go Execs uh, being released in the next week, um, which is a brand new Iridium Go. And it's based on Iridium's new Certus platform, which they've had out for a few years. You could buy Iridium Certus already, but just the Go Exec will package that in more of a Iridium Go-esque platform and better pricing. Um, and then we have Starlink. We've got OneWeb. Uh, we've got Kuiper, which is Amazon. Uh, and then we have AST Space, which is interesting as well. And, um, you know, AS, so AST Space is direct to cell phone connection. So they're launching satellites that are basically cell, cell towers in space. And they will uh, provide a direct connection to, your, to any cell phone um, no special hardware required and work with practically any carrier. Um, so that's super interesting coming forward and theoretically will be broadband speeds, you know, probably at least 4G speeds if it happens, if it works. Um, and we also know that um, Apple has agreement with GlobalStar. They're investing money in GlobalStar and you can see it in the iPhone 14 where they have SOS via satellite. It's pretty limited right now. But they're giving them billions of dollars to generate to upgrade their network. We'll start to see more progress there. Iridium has an agreement with Qualcomm, which means that new high um, high end uh, Android phones primarily will have a, uh, effectively like an in reach type connection built into the phone. Um, T-Mobile has a partnership with Starlink, and that will be very similar to Apple and. Um, and Iridium's deal, because uh, what Starlink's going to do when they do it is they're going to be installing a small cellular antenna or L-band antenna on the Gen 2 satellites that are just about to start launching. And those that separate connection will provide a cellular connection to the phones on the ground. And uh, But the problem is that the bandwidth available from that antenna to a handheld phone will be very limited. So it'll be messaging very slow data type connections. Um, so it'll still be limited. Uh, so those are some really interesting. OneWeb will be more of a high-end, like guaranteed service type platform. Um, it's out, it's almost done, but sometime in the next six months, they should be completed with their constellation. Um, Hyper hasn't launched anything yet. And Starlink has got close to 4,000 satellites. They just got approved for another 7,500. And their final plan is about 40,000. Um, we'll see how that all shakes out in the long run, but um, they're growing, they're going very fast. Um, what else? So uh, as far as VSAC systems, large VSAT systems are getting a little bit more leisure-esque now. Um, there are VSAT providers that provide good service, flexible plans, not horribly expensive, still expensive, but not horribly expensive um, for leisure. Uh, Aura and VSAT or Viasat both provide faster and cheaper service than KVH. Um, and uh, then you have Starlink, of course. Um, so, and then Iridium just joined, or just uh, added in as a GMDSS uh, distress service. And there are now uh, options for um, using the Iridium satellite network to, to, to generate and send um, true distress, uh, international distress calls. Um, so that's new. So in the GMDSS world, you've kind of got SSB 
uh, Inmarsat um, and certain Inmarsat devices, and then uh, now Iridium. Um, because of all this broadband data, where you know we're able to work aboard now uh, in more places, we can do video calls like this. Probably some of you are on Starlink or something like that on this call, um, and it's much faster than any other option. Uh, really, at this point, it's also cheaper if you're on the RV plan than pretty much any other option, uh, with the exception of maybe 4G, 5G data. If you're not using a lot of data, cellular can still be cheaper. Um, works in a lot of places, provides kind of home-like internet now, and of course, more of that's coming. Um, the biggest problem we have with this sort of next few years uh, is going to be that just everything's changing really fast. Um, and anything you buy now may or may not be exactly what you expect in a year from now. Um, Starlink itself is still pretty much a beta platform. There are a lot of little random issues with it. It largely works well, uh, but there are some problems. And it's, of course, it's not 100% coverage and things like that. And their customer service is um, you know, lacking in a lot of areas, but, uh, but it's growing. And, uh, and a lot of the big things I see are just lots of hype. You know, Starlink talks about T-Mobile and, um, you know, Iridium talks about Qualcomm and all these different things are coming out and saying, hey, we're doing all these really cool things, you know, and if none of it's available yet, it's a year or two years out and people are expecting it to be able to get it tomorrow. Um, the only one of those, any of those solutions that actually works today is the iPhone 14 SOS with Globalstar. Nothing, none of the other services are available on cell phone, you know, services available today. Um, and won't be for a while. So, you know, uh, and the other downside problem we still have today is that 4G, 5G cellular data is not unlimited. It's still not unlimited for data use. Um, it kind of sucks, but is what it is. Cellular carriers want their money. So, um, you know, we're not really benefiting from a cost perspective long-term with the exception of, like I said, maybe Starlink. Um, the Starlink RV plan Will, I will likely uh, become much more limited in the near future. And then the cost to get maritime service, it will increase or be higher than uh, the RV plan. But we'll kind of see how that goes over the next uh, little while. So the long-term, one thing I want to say about all these different things is that all the technologies that are available today, Inmarsat, Iridium, Starlink, um, T-Mobile, whatever, um, KVH, you know, anything, everything has pros and cons. Um, nothing's perfect. And usually you have to kind of combine one or more services together to get, you know, something like complete solutions nowadays. Um, you know, maybe that's a Starlink for broadband. And then whenever Starlink doesn't work, you have an Iridium Go or Go Exec or something else in the, that sort of takes over for you for your critical needs, um, you know, over time. So probably how we're going to be for the next uh, kind of few years, I think. So that's sort of the main stuff I had to say here. All right. Thanks a lot, Richard, for that. What I'd like to do is um, ask our panel members just to give a little bit more background on what you're currently using for your communication on board and just share with us some of your experiences with what, with, with what you're currently doing. So let's start with Doug. Doug, can you just give us an overview of what you're using for your communication aboard your boat? Sure, absolutely. Um, we uh, use a variety of things, and uh, I think you know you can kind of divide that into the critical 
uh, stuff, which is basically weather and, and emergency communications and then everything else. So we've relied on an Iridium Go as our primary, you know, critical um, communication link. Uh, and uh, we started out with uh, the, uh, you know, the, the mounting kit with an external antenna. And uh, our experience was that we had no better performance with that than just with the, you know, the Iridium Go itself with its built-in antenna. And so that's what we use now. Um, in uh, rain, basically, you know, it seems to be the atmosphere condition that where it does the poorest. Sometimes we'll have to move it. Normally, I just leave it on top of my nav station, but if, if it's raining hard, I might move it outside where it's only under, uh, you know, a fabric, uh, where most of the view of the sky is just through fabric to get a little better performance. Um, and we've been pretty happy with that. Um, we do have a single sideband, but we've never used the Pactor modem with it for uh, weather. Uh, so we, we do use that, um, you know, for check-ins, uh, sometimes, uh, and, uh, for a backup weather source, you know, if, uh, if the iridium got dropped overboard or something goofy, um, we wouldn't be able to get grib files, but I could still get, uh, audio weather broadcasts from Chris Parker, for example, um, for, you know, kind of communication with friends and family, email, uh, broadband uses as as they are. We've got uh, a hotspot uh, that we've used in a lot of locations. Um, and, you know, I think one thing that listening um, to Richard and all the different technologies, um, unless you're in kind of the high-end uh, cell or uh, uh, satellite realm, a lot really depends on whatever the local carriers are providing, right? So you can have, you know, you could have a, a really nice 5G cellular router, but if the only signal you can get where you are is 3G, you get 3G, you know, and if it's 3G that that drops out, you know, five minutes every 30 minutes, that's what you get. Um, so where we've had good coverage from carriers, just a simple hotspot is, has worked very well, you know, and I, I don't know which device we have. It's, I'm sure it's a 4G device. Uh, we just, uh, picked up Starlink a few weeks ago. Uh, I don't yet have it hard mounted. I'm still trying to decide exactly where I want it. So currently it's just sitting on the, the stand that. Starlink RV uh, is shipped with, and it's sitting basically uh, just inside our enclosure on the port side, uh, you know, over the aft port, uh, port aft berth. So it's somewhat obstructed, you know, from uh, 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 satellites that would be high in the sky. It's obstructed by the, the hardtop. Um, but even in that location, we found the performance is pretty good. It drops out uh, probably five to 10 minutes an hour in that location. And if we need better performance, we move it outside and then it's a little more stable. 
Um, what other devices might I have missed, Mark? Um, I'm not sure, but I guess a question for you just real quickly. Are you on Starlink right now for this call or are you using a 4G or Wi-Fi? Yes, I'm I'm on Starlink now. Okay. Yeah. You're on Starlink and, right now. And okay. here in here in Saints, the cell service, well, you know, part of the reason I brought up, you know, carrier services is here in the Saints, the cell coverage is just horrible. I mean, my daughter keeps calling, you know, um, Starlink is a little power hungry. So if you've got, you know, uh, a two kilowatt solar array in lithium, you might not care, but you know, we, we're 800 Watts and AGM. So if we're not using the Starlink, we shut it down. And that's always when my daughter calls. So I'm trying to talk to her on just the local 3G connection. And she's so frustrated. She's quit calling me. Um, <laughs> but uh, Starlink has been real good. We, we've been we've been very happy with it so far. Good. Uh, Good. One one comment there. I know in the in the uh, Google Groups um, uh, forum, there's been some talking talk about geofencing in particular countries that are currently excluded. And uh, we came down with the Salty Dog Rally from Virginia to Antigua in November, and uh, talking with people that had Starlink board on that time they were all really happy with performance but it did appear that there was a geofence at 60 degrees starting somewhere southwest or southeast of bermuda so if you check a chart that's pretty far offshore um you're you're definitely not hanging out in that area very long but it does look like there's currently some geofences uh, set up so that you could not expect continuous service if you're going transatlantic. Got it. Makes sense. Well, thanks for that overview. Hey, Mark, how about yourself? Can you give us just an overview of what you have on board your vessel and what you're doing uh, for communication? Sure. Uh, a lot of what we have on board are legacy systems that we acquired together with the boat. So we have a KPH3 antenna, we've got the Iridium Go handset, uh, we've got uh, SSB with the uh, Pactor modem, of course we have VHF as, uh, as standard. Uh, our use requirement was Catherine and I both need, still need to work remotely and continue to work remotely. And really our cruising um, uh, plan, the passage making was dictated by where we could get what connectivity to, uh, to data. So while in California, it was pretty easy, but as we started uh, going south into Mexico, uh, we got two MiFi devices. We have um, Telcel, which is a Mexican uh, carrier, SIM cards. We've got T-Mobile. Uh, we have a uh, Wi-Fi booster that uh, that we would use and, you know, we'd arrive, say, for example, first time in Cabo San Lucas. My job was to go ashore with the uh, paddle board and go from bar to bar to bar and get a beer, which was OK, uh, and find out which uh, which of the Wi-Fi uh, nodes there belong to which bar with what kind of performance using my speed test. And we would typically anchor outside said bar with the downside, of course, that, you know, two, three, four in the morning, they'd still be going strong, but at least we'd have access to data. Uh, last March, it, while in La Paz, we got Starlink. 
and uh, as kind of an early adopter at that time. And it has just transformed our connectivity, um, both near shore and to a certain extent, you know, we've, when, we, when we came back from California um, uh, last, uh, last fall, um, we, had, we had connectivity up to you know, 50 miles offshore. And we know it's just a matter of time before, before it goes further afield. The downside with Starlink is that it gives a false sense of uh, security. It is a bit temperamental, especially when users, for example, we're at an anchorage here right now in Puerto Vallarta, this time at night, high, high use occasions. Last night, we were trying to watch a movie next to impossible with the interruptions. I don't know the quality of this line and how well you can hear me, but if there is static, if there are interruptions, it, uh, it just acts as evidence. Um, so, so our primary use occasion for communication has been the need to remain connected and to do video calls to which Starlink uh, is the primary serving application device. Uh, with uh, with the MiFi's uh, and cellular as being uh, a close second, no longer at all use the uh, the Wi-Fi extender or the cellular booster. Um, we just we just simply don't. Um, as far as weather reports go, we get it from Predict Wind uh, using uh, using Starlink as well although we can always turn on the Pactor modem and get the grip files. It's so nice to you know, see it uh, live uh, on a screen uh, and interactive. As far as uh, emergency or, or back, you know, the, the, um, the, the, the worst case scenarios, uh, we will continue to keep our SSB because we know that you know, it's a true and tried uh, technology. We want to be able to reach people further afield than what the VHF can, can reach in case of a distress. We purchased a Bivy stick, which is very similar to an Iridium Go. This is communication, so we... So we needed something robust. Obviously, we have our, our EPIRB, uh, which we've only tested. Um, and uh, and uh, the uh, AIS, uh, AIS and EPIRB enabled um, device for, uh, for our um, uh, life vests. So that's, that's what we have in terms of the arsenal based on our use occasion. And so far we've been really impressed with Starlink. That's great, Mark. I mean, I think that um, as far as vessels go and communication, I'm probably odd man out. I do not have Starlink yet. Um, it's not available in Malaysia. I was was on the wait list. I finally pulled myself off because I don't know if I need it right now. Uh, but like everybody on the call, I've I've got you know, I'm, I'm a 2011 type in the spectrum of of where my technology wise, my boat was 2011. So it's Pactor Modem, SSB, KVHV3. Um, I upgraded to the Iridium Go when that came out, you know, handheld um, uh, Iridium sat phone for the dish bag. You know, it's, it's um, you know, pretty, 
I wouldn't say old technology, but I mean, the SSB, I use the SSB impact modem all the time for grip files. I, I started to wean myself off of that. Um, I thought it was fun to, and challenging to get the propagation right. So it was almost a work of art sometimes with SSB. But regardless, um, the technology changes have been dramatic. And so I think just looking forward, I'm pretty excited to see where things are going. So speaking of that, let's continue to move on. And let's talk about just a little bit more in detail. Any people may have any questions about some nearshore communication. Um, you know, it's it's interesting um, that you mentioned, Richard, you know, Wi-Fi extenders, which is which I have on my boat. I've got a it was a dual band, I think at the time, 3G extender for cellular, which when I bought the boat, didn't realize it was only for North America. And I spent about maybe one year in North America and the rest of my time have been every, everywhere else, but North America. So I've never used it above and beyond that. Um, but does anybody else have any, any other experiences to just talk about any questions specifically around near shore communication? I mean, we obviously put Starlink on here. I mean, this, these are just a couple of photos that we have of Starlink installations on other boats that are in Tares. Um, you know, just, I'm just curious, what are, what are, what are your thoughts about additional experiences with near shore communication from anybody else on the call? I, I could make a few comments, Mark. Yeah. Doug. Um, I think a lot of it, again, depends on where you're planning to go and be and what you want to do. Uh, you know, this past summer we were up in, in Newfoundland on the Southwest coast and, you spend most of your time there, you know, up a fjord because there's, you know, there's not really any other place to, to anchor. Um, and the population in Newfoundland is very small to begin with. And then you get, you know, down the coast a ways away from any roads. And then you turn and you go, you know, five miles, 10 miles up a fjord. And there's no way you're getting a cell signal on your boat. Um, if you, um, are trying to use satellite communication, um, you know, you, you can expect a lot of dropouts because you've got, you know, a thousand foot rock walls on both sides of you, not too far away. So the view of the sky is very limited. Uh, and I didn't try a single sideband up there, but I, I, I would expect that you would have similar issues. So, um, if you, rely on full-time connectivity uh you, you know i think that um unless you go i don't know you know i i don't really know how high of a system you'd have to go to get that or even if it's available everywhere you might want to go um and so uh, i think that does play into people's choices about what equipment they would carry um and you know what cruising grounds they might spend time in yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I know that my experience in particular with nearshore communication has been to just simply buy local SIM cards and put them. I have a Wi-Fi router, a 4G Wi-Fi router on board. That's why I'm talking to you right now, actually, is on a 4G connection uh, on my boat through that Wi-Fi router. And that's been that's been our our method of operation for the past, you know, quite a few years, actually, Um it's hit and miss through the islands as everyone knows that's when i would roll over to my kbh if i needed to really get some some data stuff done um and certainly you know passage making but for the most part it's been 4g 3g 4g on my side 5g 
um, exists, but it doesn't really exist very easily where we're located. Um, let's keep moving on and let's go to the next uh, slide and just talk a little bit more about, is it even practical? I guess I want to ask the question and, and I'm going to have you, Richard, jump in on this. But the question I have is, is it really even practical to even have a Wi-Fi or 3G, 4G booster anymore? Is that kind of old technology? Do people really even need it? What do you see? I mean, you see a lot of different boats, Richard, a lot of different customers. What are you seeing as far as extenders and boosters? Yeah, I mean, across the customer base, it's interesting because it's changing a little bit right now, especially, again, Starlink, uh, you know, hashtag Starlink. But um, the uh, the reality is that cell boosters are falling away. I, I try not to sell them. I do sell them, but I try not to. And the reason why is because they don't age well. Um, basically, if you think about your satellite phone, your cell phone, um, your cell phone or iPhone has the ability to connect to cellular networks on anywhere from 15 to 30 different frequencies. And the uh, cell booster supports prop basically five of those today, Current a current new booster. And um, let's say it supports anywhere like a 700 megahertz, et cetera. So lower frequency travels farther, higher frequency travels less far, um, so if you think about it, like in the USA, T-Mobile has a 600 megahertz frequency band, which has their long range 5G, which they, they advertise. Um, no cellular booster supports 600 megahertz. So the you know what will happen is, is you'll be at um, a marina, and this is what happens all the time. People have a cell booster, like, well, it doesn't do anything. If I turn it on and off, the signal doesn't change. And the reality is, is that that's because the phone is seeing a 600 megahertz signal at a higher signal strength than what the booster is providing on 700 megahertz or 1900 megahertz. And so the phone's choosing a 700 megahertz band. Um, you turn it on and off, the phone's not using it. Now, if you get far enough away and you're in a specific area where the only signal that is available is 900 or 700 or 18, 1900 megahertz, and that happens to be boosted by the booster and the other signals have fallen out, then your phone will connect to the booster and you'll get benefit from that for a period of time. And then at some point there's not enough signal left for the cell booster to boost and you lose, you lose your connection. Um, so boosters are cellular boosters, specifically amplifiers are um, there. They work, but it's, it's only in specific conditions that they're actually providing benefit. And a lot of times people are looking at it like, well, I don't, I don't see it in the marina. I don't see it as I'm running up and down the coast. I don't see it in Puget Sound or whatever, and they don't think it's working. Um, it's just, it doesn't, it's not working for that situation. Um, but anyway, it's so it's a tough one. It's very subjective, uh, and unfortunately, and there's no way to really even measure it. It's not, a, it's, it's very hard to, to quantify. Um, Wi-Fi extenders, I believe, are sort of a necessary evil. Um, I, you know, if you're going, if you're traveling around the world or around the North America or South America or wherever you happen to be, there are going to be situations where Wi-Fi at the marina is the only option and there's no cell service. And, you know, if you don't have a booster, you might not be able to connect. So it's one of those things where it's a one-time cost. You install it, you use it when you need it, but it's not your only option. And it's probably never, probably usually not your best option. Cellular is much more powerful. Um, so typically where I try to tell customers to do when I talk to them 
is to spend you know the time the money in the cellular part of the situation typically with a router or glorified hotspot or whatever um there are ways to get really good service from cellular uh especially with if you're willing to spend a little extra money on the hardware because there are devices out there now that can connect that can be mounted at the top of the mast of uh, a sailboat um you know 60 70 feet up and have 5g connection from 25 miles away and they work really well but there's an upfront cost to that with starlink coming into the picture I believe uh, Wi-Fi especially will start to drop off even more because anybody who's in a marina is likely going to be in Starlink coverage, even if they're on an RV plan um, going forward, because they're within, they're basically on land almost. So, and and marina Wi-Fi being so horrible, generally across the board, um, there are good places that, there are marinas that have great Wi-Fi, but it's not a lot of them. Um, you know, if you have unlimited service on Starlink, then uh, why would you connect to the super slow, over you know, overused Wi-Fi from the marina? Um, so I feel like Wi-Fi extenders are probably going to fall off a little bit. Cellular boosters, as amplifiers specifically, will fall off. Uh, cellular routers will still have a lot of uh, usefulness for a bunch of different reasons, especially working with Starlink. Um, and I will say one thing about, you have a note in here about international cell boosters. They don't exist, actually. So ah. that's another problem with cell boosters. There's North America, there's Asia, and there's Europe. You can't buy a booster that does more than one of those. So if you want to travel around the world, you either have to buy three different boosters and swap them out as you go, or just buy a cell router and move on with your day. Got it. Well, that's helpful because um, the international, I, I put that in there thinking, well, I don't have that because I have the, the North America version, which has been terrible. I've never used it. So I said, ah, that, there's got to be something. But to your point, there's three which is painful. Yeah. Um, just, just a question to either Doug or Mark, are you guys actually using your, if you have, I think, I think one of you at least had a, had a um, Wi-Fi extender or, or cell booster. Do you guys use them at all on your boat these days or not really? You both have Starlink. Yeah, we have both. And um, since Starlink, well, the, the cellular booster because it's uh, a rather old technology and it would support 3G and basically has incompatibility with, with 4G, um, more modern smartphones, basically. Um, and I called the manufacturer and I said, hey, I'm not getting any boost off the coast of California, wherever I am. And he explained to me, you know, frequency bands and legacy technology. And long story short, um, the one that we have on board uh, is, um, is such a narrow use occasion so as to say, you know, it, I should just get rid of it for, for weight savings purposes. The, uh, the Wi-Fi extender, no, we haven't, we haven't used it since we got Starlink. Um, if Starlink goes down, and, and here's the paradox, when, when, um, when one is in a location that is um, that typically has uh, has has Wi-Fi, you're going to get so many folks who are trying to grab that same signal that that you get you know rapid degradation of service. And incidentally, the same with Starlink. You know, we're in a popular anchorage. Everyone here has Starlink, and we have degradation this time of day in particular between 7 p.m. Um, uh, we're the equivalent of uh, uh, of central time, 
and say nine o'clock uh, during peak, you know, streaming hours, it's just it's just noticeable. So the further afield you get, the more remote you get to these, you know, islands in the middle of nowhere in the Sea of Cortez, the better the performance of uh, of Starlink. Same with offshore, because you're not competing with a whole bunch of other become. I think maybe you're competing right now with people. Yeah. There we go. One of those dropouts, huh? Yeah, <laughs> one of those, one of those drop There you go. You're back, I think, Mark. Right. Did she just adjust to, to my point, yeah. right? Yeah, to I your was... point. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good, a good, a good, good example. Well, thanks. And thanks I, for that. Yeah, go ahead. I was just saying, like, one of the things that I work with a lot with people is we talk about um using multiple connections and you know, one of the problems with Starlink generally is not just um, dropouts from obstruction, but it's also performance from, you know, from congestion. And there's also just general uh, jitter and, and packet loss in the network uh, for a whole variety of reasons on Starlink. Um, and there's ways to use hardware, especially special cell routers, to combine like 5G and Starlink into a single seamless connection. And then when Starlink drops out, the 5G takes over and vice versa. Um, and then the Zoom calls and the voice calls are totally transparently moved with nobody noticing that. So there are ways to sort of mitigate that. Um, you can even do two Starlink antennas uh, with two different plans and bond them together. And one um, typically one will always have a connection even if the other one doesn't. So um, it's kind of interesting, but there's just ways to sort of mitigate some of that. Yes. Yeah, in fact, that's a really good segue. Um, I'm going to just for the sake of time, I'm going to skip through a couple of these because I want to get to one one spot in particular. And we've we've talked already a little bit about the uh, global SIM. Well, actually, we haven't global SIM cards versus local SIM cards, which is best. Let's talk about this topic. And then I want to jump back to what you were just talking about, Richard, and get into this. I call it kind of the melting together of all your Wi-Fi sprawl on your boat. I was very impressed with our conversation we had pre this this call about what you guys offer. I definitely want to talk about that because that that to me in some ways is, is kind of a game changer on seamless connectivity. Um, but let's just quickly touch on on SIM cards. Global SIM cards to me, um, as an example, would be like uh, Google Fi. Um, a local SIM card would be your local a local provider. Are you guys using um, true global SIM cards? A T-Mobile would be a global SIM card for your communication, or are you pretty much saying, you know what, it's cheaper and better just just to buy a local SIM card in Mexico. In my case, I have local SIM cards in Philippines, Malaysia, Indonesia, wherever I am, I'm buying local, local SIM cards. That's my preference, but what do you guys, what are some of your experiences? Mark, let's start with you, you're in Mexico. What are you doing, doing with SIM cards in Mexico? Well, we have, T-Mobile, yeah, uh, that we that we keep, and we also got uh, Telcel SIM cards for okay. uh, for Mexican. So, you know, as Richard said, you know, multiple platforms are 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 typically the best approach. Yeah. So that's that's what we have right now. Our plans for their field are to sail uh, through the Panama Canal into the Caribbean, and yeah, we'd be interested to know what other folks used because there is no one card that decently services all of the countries in all that territory yeah for sure so, so doug how about you i mean you're 
you're down in the Caribbean right now. What's been your experience with SIM cards? Yeah, well, uh, we've been spending, you know, at least six months a year in the United States and Canada, and we maintain, you know, just regular AT&T phone plans um, year round. Uh, so when we've been in, in the Bahamas and the Caribbean, we've been just using local SIM cards. And uh, some of those are really good. You know, in the Bahamas, uh, the carrier alive, you can get a, uh, uh, it was either unlimited or a very large data only SIM card for a hotspot for like 90 bucks. Uh, I, I get it wasn't it not unlimited, but it was quite large. I forget the, the amount. It's like 150 gigabytes or something for, for 90 bucks. Um, whereas other places it can be a lot more expensive and uh i would if i were needing a higher level of connectivity for work or whatnot i'd probably look at a global sim but for for our needs you know if uh you know if we're a particular island for three or four weeks and can't get a good sim we can cut back on our netflix usage it's not too big a hardship <laughs> That's a good point. And I mean, obviously, a key part with any sort of SIM card is cell towers, and, and they're only as good as the availability of different cell towers. And that's kind of one of those challenges as you travel more and more remote. Um, what I want to do now is kind of put put together this, what I call, you know, th this is actually going to be Richard talking about this, but this is something that I was very impressed with, because it's true, we do have this, this sprawl of communication um, on my boat, as an example, whether I'm trying to deal with my chart plotters and their Wi-Fi, um, you know, I've got a Wi-Fi on my Iridium Go, I've got my boat Wi-Fi, I've got this this mesh of Wi-Fi's. And um, Richard, can you talk now about Narwhal and just tell people what it is because this is, I think, brilliant. Yeah, sure. So um, I, I do want to put, touch on one thing from the last slide, but it'll oh, yeah, sort sure. of dovetail a little bit. Um, and that is that um, there are actually true. So one, one thing to point out is that T-Mobile, Google Fi, et cetera, while they allow international roaming are still USA companies that don't allow uh, extended roaming. So at some point in the future, yeah. if you visit roaming, they will cut you off. Um, there are actually true uh, global roaming sims. One company specifically is called One Sim Card or Telestial. They're the same company, um, and you can buy a sim card from them. It works in 180 countries, and depending on which country you're in, the data rates are different. They have like three different rates basically. So some countries are in one rate, some countries another rate, and you, it's all like a prepaid style. So you can say, I'm going to load in, you know, I'm going to load in a five gig plan for you know, the group A. And as you travel, you can use that to, and what, how I used it was I, as I traveled down Central America, I used that to fill in the gaps for the places where I didn't have local SIMs. And then when I stayed in a place for a long period of time, I would get a local SIM. And then the Telestial SIM card I didn't have to pay for it until I needed it again. So that's something, or one SIM card, again, same company, but um, there are so those things, and there's no roaming restrictions or anything like that, and it's a prepaid situation. So if you don't need it, you just don't pay for it, um, and you can use it in a router or whatever. So some that might be useful for some people as they travel around, just to have in their pocket sometimes. Um, uh, and then local sims are great; they're cheap, alive. Like to your point, alive and BTC both have really excellent plans for the Bahamas. 
So, and Telcel is relatively inexpensive in Mexico. Um, although I heard it's changing recently. Um, although uh, one of my uh, customers slash guys I work with, he um, told me there's a two hour unlimited uh, top up for Tel Telcel where you just like pay a few dollars, a few pesos for like two hours of unlimited. So he, for every Seahawks game, he turns on the two hour unlimited and streams Seahawks game and then it ends with the game, you know, a little while later. So interesting uh, thing that they have there on Telcel. Um, anyway, so coming forward to this thing. So Narwhal is, is a product that uh, I created and we, we sell. And what it is essentially is a turnkey um, pre-configured uh, onboard network for your boat. And it combines Wi-Fi, cellular, and satellite uh, communications into a single system. And the idea is just to, to make it really simple to say, hey, I'm going to, um, I need, I, I want a Wi-Fi extender, although that's optional, of course. I want a cellular plot, a device that takes SIM cards, local SIMs and global SIMs and T-Mobile SIMs, and maybe even multiple SIM cards and switches between those. Um, and I want a Starlink or an Iridium or both or a KBH and, and an Inmarsat whatever, and sort of just bring it all into one system. So I have a Wi-Fi network inside the boat and it connects via whatever internet connection is available in a priority basis based on cost, uh, least cost routing. Um, and on top of that, can take that those connections and say I have a Starlink and a 4G or 5G connection and they're both active and um, create um, a priority tunnel, like a VPN tunnel through those connections and bond it all together for things like voice calls and Zoom calls where um, you want it to be stable um, and pipe that back to a, through the VPN into the US or whatever. But the primary, um, even though the VPN does give you back to the US or some other place, the primary purpose is to, um, is to clean up the connection so that real-time communications uh, like voice and video calls um, don't experience, don't show the outages and dropouts and things that are happening in both the cellular network or the Starlink network or the or whatever you happen to be on at the time. So it sort of brings all that together and then allows you to connect your AIS and your chart plotter and all that stuff too. So now all those other extra Wi-Fi networks are really merged into one. So you can connect the internet, you can stream AIS data to, to Navionics, you can um, you know, download grid files while while watching AIS on iNavX, et cetera, et cetera. So kind of brings all that together into one system. And you can build this yourself. It's all off-the-shelf equipment. But what Narwhal is, is, is essentially it's already done. It's pre-configured. It's supported by us. It's remotely, we can do remote management and remote support. Um, and look, it does all that work. And when you, when you get it, it's a matter of just, installing it, hooking it up and turning it on and everything just starts working. So that's what it is effectively. Yeah, that's, that's um, in my view, very impressive. Something that um, I definitely want to look at for my boat at once we start to uh, get back out on the water, once the kids are out of high school, that's a uh, very beneficial because it's just, it's, it's complicated for me right now um, with what I have going on with my boat and I'm, I'm basically in a marina right now. So, so that's, that's speaks volumes. Um, I just checked the time. We only have really a couple more minutes left on this call and I don't want to go much beyond the one hour mark. 
So what I want to do is go to one more slide. I want to we we've talked already about GMDSS in the overview. We've talked about uh, offshore Iridium, Garmin, and these these pieces. But what I do want to zero in on in particular is what I'm calling the ditch bag communication uh, for our boats, which is you know, something that we hope we never have to use. But if we do need to use it, um, what are we doing and how are we handling communication when we're in some sort of a life raft, a life life-threatening situation? And I know, Mark, that you mentioned when we were doing the slide reviews to put SSB on here. That's why I changed it to ditch bag since that won't fit. But I mean, clearly SSB with DSC is, is a solution, but I'm thinking more about off the boat in a life raft. What are we using? I'll tell you what I'm using on my boat, what I've used over the years, and then we'll get some feedback from Mark and Doug in particular on their situations. So as I progress through this whole spectrum of changes in, in communication, I I went from the uh, I, I've also had Inmarsat and I've had Iridium um, handheld, like you see here with a, a Pelican case ditch bag. But then I kind of upgraded to the Iridium Go. And so now my go-to still is the Iridium Go um, in a Pelican case with a solar charger. I've got um, uh, an iPhone, an iPhone uh, uh, battery bank that I keep in my ditch bag uh, to keep my iPhone charged up. And I basically am using now the Iridium Go as my communication along with, of course, a, 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 a handheld uh, VHF device. But those, and of course, the EPIRB, is in my ditch bag. Uh, but that's the primary solution for me right now is the Iridium Go. Doug, what are you using? When, when you did a big offshore just recently heading down to the Caribbean, what was your strategy for ditch bag communication? Yeah. Um, well, our primary was simply an, an EPIRB and a, and a handheld VHF radio. Um, we can certainly throw the Iridium Go in, and I do carry a, uh, a, a power bank, battery bank in the ditch bag. Um, and uh, I think I actually did stash one of the cell phones in there as well. Um, but I think if, if I actually felt that I wanted voice call capability, you can do that with a cell phone and Iridium Go, but it's kind of fiddly. And I think if I actually was wanting that capability, I would probably carry an Iridium handheld, um, you know, and, and I don't know if what IP ratings they, they carry, but, you know, if you had one with, um, you know, some minimal amount of water uh, proofing, uh, that's probably what I would carry. Um, similarly, you've got the bivy stick on here, which, you know, basically gives you a texting capability. Um, but it's the same issue where you have to pair it with a phone and then you, the phone is the keyboard, right? So if I think if I wanted to carry that capability in my ditch bag, I would probably carry maybe a spot X, um, device that's got a built-in keypad or one of the, one of the in-reach devices, uh, I think there's one of the in-reach devices also that's got a, a built-in keypad just so that, you know, in that emergency situation, you weren't having to use this fiddly setup involving a piece of equipment paired to a phone. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. And how about you, Mark? What's your strategy on your on your vessel? Yeah, it's it's 
fairly similar to what has already been mentioned. We like the Bivy device um, because you can still send distress signals um, without needing the interface with the phone. Um, I agree with Doug though, however, if you have a device with an inbuilt keyboard, it's really psychologically from what I read, um, critical to be able to have that two-way communication. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's one thing when you know your EPIRB is sending a distress signal. It's another when you get a confirmation from, from some, you know, distant source, even if it's just friends and family who are pre-programmed on our baby device as recipients of any sort of distress text. Hey, I, I've, uh, I've got you. I've, I understand where, where you are and I know your coordinates. Uh, I've called for help and here's the status and you get, uh, and you get updates um, as hopefully help, help approaches that probably wouldn't be reachable through, you know, a, a normal VHF uh, system. So I think whatever is in the ditch bag to have either uh, uh, a uh, some sort of satellite communication device that that allows for that two ways uh, is critical, at least in in our minds. Yeah, I mean it's it's when we were in Panama, we had a serious medical issue with my daughter, and we had zero communication outside of a satellite phone, and we were able to make a phone call. Uh, from our, in this case, we did it from our KVHV3, which was also a, a voice over IP, uh, to call our physician um, in the U.S. and give us medical guidance and for, you know, give us what we needed to do to, for our daughter. And so I think that two-way communication, in particular in medical situations, um, was a very big deal for us and uh, something that if I don't I don't want to think about the repercussions if we did not have the ability to, at that point in time, with the issue that happened, to be able to be on a phone with somebody. Um, and that's always given me pause because I did get rid of my, my both my Inmarsat and my Iridium handhelds. I had two of them. I went through a couple of different phases of that and then rely exclusively on the V3, which now doesn't work without upgrading and my Iridium Go. Um, does anybody else have any other uh thing to add or questions about anything that we've talked about uh, this evening, and we'll just open it up for general Q&A. So this is Richard. I was, I'll point out kind of my ditch bag thing real quick. Oh, sure. Yeah, please, please. Uh, so, I mean, uh, I'll tell you like what we did on our own boat, because I have two daughters and we were cruising the ocean as well. Um, you know, I we actually bought uh, a PLB in addition to the EPIRB. So like it's a, it's a small portable version of an EPIRB, right? Yeah. Satellite based. And I had that packed, pre-packed in our uh, life raft. Um, and then we had the EPIRB on an auto deploy on the boat. Um, we also uh, had an airband, an airband handheld radio and a marine VHF in our ditch bag. An airband radio could call an airplane overhead if we were out in the middle of nowhere. Um, plus, an, and, and that's, and we had a radium handheld um, and that was an Iridium pilot. So on board with the pilot, we could make onboard calls at a handheld with the ditch bag. And um, that's sort of what we ended up with uh, for ourselves. We also had an inReach um, as well. My recommendation to most of my customers is that is, is a handheld Iridium 9575 phone. It's IP65, waterproof or water resistant. Nothing's waterproof. Um, that's usually what I recommend people have in a ditch bag as a dedicated device if they're going to have one. 
Um, but a lot of people choose the Go and use that. My only question about the Go really comes down to, you know, if you get in the, if you actually end up in a, in a life raft, will you have a working, not water soaked, charged iPhone with you, right? When you get there. And that, if, if you don't, then yep. the only, the only thing that Go will do is the red distress button, right? So that's, and that's okay too. It's just, it's just a decision point at that point. So. Yeah, that's um, right. That's exactly right. I mean, we we put our our iPhone in the Pelican case with the Iridium Go, but the reality is, um, uh, you know, that's definitely a point of failure, no doubt about it. Yeah, hey, and then do you also like update the software on your? Do you also update the app on your phone and the firmware on the i on the Iridium Go that's in your ditch bag periodically, right? Yes, correct. Someone was just trying to jump in. Go ahead, Doug. I think it was you. Yeah, that was, that was me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the similar topic to Ditchbeg, the thing that's even more frightening to us is a, a man overboard offshore. And so uh, we both carry in, in our life jackets both a PLB and a uh, AIS beacon. Um, you know, the PLB too. would give you, you know, uh, uh, connection to emergency responders but the ais plb is probably more likely you know if if you are picked back up and saved it's probably more likely would be to the due to the ais beacon yeah uh, because you know with that you've got a chance of alerting someone aboard and quickly getting the boat you know stopped turned around that sort of thing so um you i think we worry about man overboard a lot more than than uh ditch bag yeah fair yeah. enough go ahead richard definitely have a good ais receiver a good vhf with dsc uh mlb1 or something similar in the life jacket those three things as long as there's crew on board that's your man overboard great option if if you're a single hander then in the, the MOBs aren't going to work and you really have to have a PLB because that's your only option at that point. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, anybody else have any other questions, uh, any other comments for the group? I know we're at our one hour limit and I don't want to keep people much later. I see nothing, no hands being raised. So I just want to, first of all, uh, thank you, Richard, for taking the time this evening out of your schedule to join us on the call. Um, very insightful. I've, I learned a lot just hearing you go through some of the more, some of the details that we didn't even cover on our pre-call. Doug, thank you very much for taking the time and Mark as well. Um, our next, our next um, session slash podcast will be specifically about uh, boat insurance. So we have one or two different um, insurance brokers that will be on the call to talk to us, answer questions about, the state of insurance for yachts, in particular catamarans, and what a pain in the butt it has been for everybody. So that will be the next call in about two weeks. We'll be sending out more notification on that. And uh, without anything else to say, thank you again for your time and good evening.